This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 299, and we are recording on September 21st. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? You're downstairs. Yes. I am. <laughs> we are in Portland for work and in different floors of the same house. <laughs> Yeah, we're not, obviously, because we are traveling, we're not with our same setup as always. So apologies mm-hmm. in advance for any sound differences. Yeah, but this is what yeah. happens when you go places. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting <laughs> uh, journey to get us set up here. But... It was, it was. Doing and our best. <laughs> and then we had a dongle situation. So <laughs> Always a dongle situation. <laughs> Always a dongle, never a bride. Yay. <laughs> All right, let's see. So <laughs> what is this show, you're wondering? This is, as we said, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. You can send in your request for a book recommendation for you, for a family member, a friend, or your book club, or travel, or whatever. Uh, you can send those in either via email, get booked at bookride.com. Or you can drop them in the form that's linked in the show notes on the site for each episode. Next episode, I can't believe it's going to happen. Next episode is mm. episode 300. Yes. During which we will be doing our AMA slash AUA. Y'all sent in questions for us. We will be answering them probably in two shows because we have so many. Yeah. So that's going to happen. Get excited. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Oh, we have feedback. We have feedback. All right, so from April, who says, for a read-alike for a child called It, I recommend A List of Cages by Robin Rowe. It's a novel about a boy who experiences a lot of abuse by a guardian and comes out the other side with the help of a previous foster family, a lot of good character work with the various friend groups at school. And then for a book with angry female characters, I recommend All the Rage by Courtney Summers. It's YA, but I, when I read it, I immediately got the vibe I got from the main characters of Girl on the Train and Luckiest Girl Alive. Let's mm. see. Elizabeth says, for the reader looking for New England in the fall vibes on Beauty by Zadie Smith, and We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, the latter for the light spooky vibes, an Amanda favorite. Mm-hmm. And then for books set in Egypt, uh, The Map of Love by Ahdaf Soyif, a gorgeous, sweeping, multidimensional family saga set on two timelines, mostly in Egypt, by an Egyptian author. And then, lots of feedback this time, from Gina, who says, for the reader in episode 295, looking for Jane Austen readalikes, I'd like to recommend Victorian writer Margaret Oliphant, generally, and her novel Miss Majori Banks, specifically. Oh, pronounced March Banks, LOL. Miss Mm -hmm. March Banks is apparently how you say that, because British. That's interesting. Yeah, (laughs) It is. 
The book is about a wealthy spinster who lives with her father and decides she knows what's best for the county. Thank you very much. So begins mucking about in local politics. Think Emma meets Parks and Rec. That is very compelling, Gina. It is. I'm definitely going to be picking that up. Thank you for that recommendation for all of us. Okay. (laughs) Amanda's going to read our first question and then we'll do a sponsor and then we will start recommending books. Okay, our first question is from Emily, and this is a two-parter, so we split it. The first part is, I'm a seasonal reader. I like my books to match the season I'm in, both metaphorically and literally. This is a literal request. I'm wanting books that literally feel like autumn. One concept that always reminds me of autumn is academia, so I'm looking for great novels that take place around academia or involve it in some way. College campuses, liberal arts majors, researchers, etc. Reading Freya right now, and it really fits the bill. The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides also fits it. My second request is for my book club. We've grown interested in having discussions around spirituality, not necessarily a specific religion, but just in the philosophy of believing in a higher power and why or why or why not we should. We all feel we would have benefited from taking a philosophy lecture during college just to understand the philosophy behind spirituality. We'd love to read a philosophy book that shares theories on life, religion, and spirituality, but we aren't looking for the densest read either, so I don't know if a lighter philosophy book exists. <laughs> all right, so let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay, I will um, keep going. I, I took the academia section of this question and Jen took the religion slash spirituality one. So my recommendation for academia is The Female Persuasion by Meg Wallitzer, which takes place in college. And then also you are following a college graduate um, who is a liberal arts major as she goes off into the workforce and tries to make that all work. Um, so her name is Greer. She's our main character. She's pretty shy. She's a college freshman. She is dating her high school boyfriend and they are still together. And she in her like trying to figure out what she wants to do with her major and you know, what she wants to study, she meets Faith Frank, who is a woman in her 60s who is a super famous feminist, like second wave feminist. So think like, okay, now my brain is blanking on second wave feminists. Gloria Steinem. <laughs> She's like a Gloria Steinem stand-in. Um, and she comes to speak at Greer's College, and Greer becomes like super obsessed with her, you know, women's studies all the way. And when she graduates, she decides to go work for Faith at a new nonprofit. And the nonprofit is funded by one of Faith Frank's friends, who is a super wealthy businessman. Uh, and everyone in the nonprofit has weird kind of feelings about that, like this is a really capitalist funded situation. We're trying, but we're trying to do really progressive things uh, to help like poor women around the world. And this is kind of squicky and I don't know, whatever. But as is often the case with many nonprofits, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, like you need the money to make the thing. So that's, they all kind of, you know, swallow their principles and try to carry on. But Greer in her youth, <laughs> um, idolizes Faith so much and puts her on such a pedestal that she starts to suffer from that never meet your heroes thing. Like she mm. gets behind the scenes with Faith making business decisions and making decisions about how to run the nonprofit that don't align perfectly with every liberal checkbox that could possibly exist and that Greer takes very seriously. So she starts to become really disillusioned. And then you find out something about the nonprofit and how it's being run that's a little sketchy. So it is both about academia and like the ways that a, an obsessive study of one thing can direct the entire course of your life. Um, but it's also really a lot about also the don't meet your heroes thing, which I don't think necessarily is the exact point. It's not like don't meet your heroes, but maybe you don't have heroes in the first place. You know, <laughs> like maybe just have people who you admire who are people who you don't have right. outsized overblown expectations of, which I think is something more academic novels could use. So anyway, mm. that's The Female Persuasion by Meg Walter. I feel like we need that across the board, honestly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, let's see. So light slash engaging philosophy, religion, spirituality. I picked Why Religion by Elaine Pagels for this because it is sort of a very specific thing you're looking for and there are tons of books on spirituality but most of them in my experience are like about a specific one and then the ones that are more general are often very uh, texty academic you know or like very specifically western colonialist kind of mental politics is how I'm mm -hmm. gonna go with that and I think you know Elaine Pagels is an American she's white so like she is still doing a very specific thing here but she's been a biblical scholar among other things for a long time and this book has a lot of cross-disciplinary work in it as well as a personal touch so she her she they lost her young son he died very young and then a year later she lost her husband very unexpectedly. So she was dealing with a ton of grief. And that grief is the basis for how she's thinking about 
how both in good ways and less good ways, religious traditions have informed how we relate to ourselves, how we process things like grief, um, how we get through challenges. And she's looking at, you know, neuroscience and anthropology and history and religion and spirituality and philosophy. And so I think it's like, this is the kind of thing that is going to look at a lot of different traditions to see and compare and contrast a bit, like how they handle certain existential questions, which is what it sounds like what you're looking for. And so I think there will be a lot of good discussion material for you, a lot of good references, and then you can always go and like explore more specifics. Um, but Pagels is going to give you, I think, a pretty good grounding starting place. So again, that is Why Religion by Elaine Pagels. All right, our next question oh, is from one of our BookRite insiders who get to have their questions fast-tracked if they are at the epic level, which Jessica is. So Jessica's question is, I've been reading chapter books to my six-year-old at bedtime since the start of the year. He loved Charlotte's Web and The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Then we read the Zapato Power series, which was a huge hit with both of us. Uh, our librarian remembered the Museum Mystery series, which was extremely hit or miss. We're midway through Clubhouse Mysteries, also published as Ziggy and the Black Dinosaurs, which has been awesome. It includes mystery and adventure, but also some black history. Need some suggestions for what to pick up next. He's enjoyed some rolled doll, especially Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I have to, I have to verbally edit doll quite a bit, mostly for gratuitous fat shaming. Hmm. A lot of the middle grade I love is just a little too mature for him at this point, so I would welcome your wisdom on this. All right, Amanda, what (laughs) uh, read aloud middle grade slash chapter books do you have? I picked one of my favorite chapter books for for this age. It's called Zoe and Sassafras. The first book is Dragons and Marshmallows. It is by Asia Citro and the illustrators Mary and Lindsay. And um, Zoe is a little girl who is very into science and being outside. She wears goggles as like a headband. She calls them her thinking goggles. And she puts them on whenever she needs to think about something or like solve a problem. And Sassafras is her cat. And so it, when the book opens, Zoe is outside digging around in the dirt for bugs, as one does when one is a sciencey little kid, which I also did. And then she discovers that the bugs are running a circus, which seems very strange. Zoe is a great kid because she's like skeptical of the stuff that she discovers or finds. She's like, mm, that seems weird, you know. And so uh, then she decides to like run experiments to confirm or deny her skepticism, which is a thing that kids really should be doing more, more critical thinking for children. Um, and so she discovers a bug circus and it's like, I don't know about this. This seems kind of strange. And then she talks to her mom, who's also a scientist professionally. And her mom tells her her secret, which is that she can see magical creatures and that magical creatures exist all around us. And sometimes they need help. And apparently Zoe has inherited this ability to see them. And there isn't really necessarily uh, what's a mutually mutual exclusivity between being a science-minded person and someone who believes in mm. magical things. And so um, one day a dragon, like a little baby dragon, a little sick baby dragon, shows up on Zoe's doorstep. And she and her cat Sassafras use the scientific method to figure out what is wrong with the dragon. Like to figure out if it's cold-blooded or warm-blooded or if it's a carnivore or an omnivore or an herbivore, and uh, maybe it has an upset stomach and all of this kind of stuff. And so um, that entire, like the whole book and most of the series is about her discovering uh, some problem that has a little bit of a supernatural bent that she has to solve using science. And the reason why I liked this one so much is because, you know, kids are, the, the kids who are like, 
kids now, <laughs> not kids when we were kids, but kids who are kids now are facing a really big challenge with ex- like critically examining sources and learning how to discern like what they find online, what is true and mm. what is not nonsense. And so the ability to stop and pause and think critically and scientifically through a thing, even if it looks real or even if it looks ridiculous to you, is a real skill for children. Um, Zoe is black and it's like not made a thing of in the book, but it is quite diverse. So it's great. Yeah. So that's Dragons and Marshmallows, which is the first book in the Zoe and Sassafras series by Asia Citro. That sounds amazing. It's definitely going (laughs) to need to get my hands on that. (laughs) I am returning to a favorite series. I've recommended on the show before Dragons in a Bag by Zeta Elliott. This is just such a lovely, fun sweet series about a little boy named Jackson. He is black um, and lives in New York. And uh, the author also, side note, is black. And one day his mom has to like go do a thing, a grown up thing. So she's trying to find babysitting and she takes him to spend the day with a woman. There's an older woman who's like kind of mean, not like super friendly. And he's very like, I don't particularly want to be here. And then he discovers that she's a witch and she has baby dragons that she has to deliver to a magical world where they'd be safe because there's not enough magic left in our world. And you're not supposed to let them out of the bag, hence the bag, dragons in a bag. And you're not supposed (laughs) to feed them anything sweet. And of course, things go wrong. And Jax has to help get the baby dragons where they're supposed to be, has all kinds of adventures. Also, there's dragons and dinosaurs. We get a little bit of like time travel. We get some magic in Brooklyn. And we get some like real world issues like the reason why uh jackson is with this woman in the first place like becomes clear it's like you know complicated housing situations and what does that mean for a kid as well as for a parent but i think it's totally like in line with other things that you've been reading and it's really fun there's like really great supporting characters and the adventure is really enjoyable and i just love everything about this series so Again, that is, well, it's both the Dragons in a Bag series and Dragons in a Bag is the first book by Zeta Elliott. There's only two, but I hope we'll get more in the future. Okay, our third question is from Leslie, who says, For most of my life, I've hated outdoorsy things and nature. The last few years, I've started camping and can't get enough of nature. Within the next year, I'd like to start backpacking, small at first, and eventually I'd like to climb Mount Whitney. I'm looking for books about being in nature or hiking or backpacking. I've read Wild and Into Thin Air, Into the Wild. Uh, Memoir or fiction is fine. I'm not looking for a mystery or horror, but ones that capture the feeling and experience of being among the trees. I'm in the Central Valley of California, so bonus points if the book is around this area. Okay, I don't get the bonus points, sadly, but you need to read this book. (laughs) It's called The Home Place, Memoirs of a Colored Man's Love Affair with Nature by J. Drew Lanham. Lanham is a poet, and he is also a professor of wildlife ecology at Clemson. Um, And this is a memoir of uh, his home place, obviously, which is the kind of, not kind of, the farm he grew up on in South Carolina in like Edgefield County, which is a partially nature reserve um, and partially like place where people live and their businesses. So like a normal place and partially a nature reserve. Um, And his family has lived there since the slaves were freed. And they've had the house he grew up in and then also his grandmother's home which was like across the field like across the way so he grew up kind of in both places um and so it's both a memoir of that experience of a black land-owning family in south carolina which is a whole journey right um and then also his personal experience of growing up in rural south carolina 
um, and becoming who he is now, which is a person who is like obsessed with the outdoors. He's a birder. He's um, uh, obviously a, an ecology professor, but he's also like a hunter and conservationist and all of these really fascinating and interesting things. And he does talk about what it is like to be a black man who is like out in the woods with a gun in the South, because that can be a whole lot of things, like depending on who you encounter while you're outside. And then woven into all of this is this just like complete love letter to the nature he grew up around. So he's talking about all of the different kinds of trees and all the native plants, all the like the native birds and the animals, and some of which are no longer around this little county, this little plot of land that he grew up on because of farming or logging or whatever. His dad was a school teacher, but also had a small farm, like a small working farm on this land with like, I think it was cattle and uh, vegetables and crops and things like that for extra money. So he has experience like with the tractor and all of that. And so like getting down in the dirt and the worms and the different kinds of bugs, it's just like a microscope on the nature and the natural history of one little county in one pretty little state <laughs> uh, in America, and one man's experience growing up there, and all the things that came with it. And you can, he's a poet also, and you can really tell. Like, it's very kind of musical. The writing is a little bit musical and flows really nicely, and it's just a really chill, calming nature read. So that's The Home Place by J. Drew Lanham. I have just put that on hold at the library. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I need to read that immediately. Yeah, I... I don't know that I actually, I might get some bonus points in here, but it's unclear. So my pick is <laughs> On Trails by Robert Moore. And this is literally like one of those sort of deep dive nonfiction, it's kind of a micro history on the concept of trails. Mm. Uh, Moore is a journalist who was also a like, dedicated hiker. And while he was hiking the Appalachian Trail, he was thinking about like what yeah, what are, well like what does it mean to be a trail? Where do they come from? How do they develop? How do they stay? What kinds of trails are there? So he goes all over the globe. I think he does spend some time in California as well as lots of other places. But he's looking at you know snail trails and then snail like <laughs> fossils and how actually we have like fossilized trails. It turns out, which is not a thing that I knew. But then also yeah, like being on the Appalachian Trail or like urban hiking or, you know, all of these different things. He's looking at, you know, stuff in history. He's looking at philosophy. He's looking at nature writing, just looking at all sorts of different ways that trails exist. And it is very, it's very interesting. I think he does a pretty good job of keeping it moving and not getting like too bogged down in any one thing, but giving you a lot of different, you know, aspects to think about and the writing is solid and it made me want it 100 percent made me want to be out on a trail in nature mm. like it's very very nice that way but also is good in the armchair sense that like i now all, i know all these random facts about trails mm. <laughs> and i got some really interesting you know like huh i never thought about it that way moments out of reading this book so i think it's gonna work really well on a lot of different levels and also, he is a gay man in nature, which is a thing that, you know, you don't often see. And he does touch on that a little bit. Mm. Uh, and a thing you don't often see represented in the media. There's plenty of queer folks in nature. It's just mm -hmm. not a thing that we talk about a lot. So again, that is On Trails, an exploration by Robert Moore. All right. Our next question is from Isabel, 
who says, one of my favorite reading projects is to find an author I love and then tear through their full catalog. I just finished all of Toni Morrison's novels, which I've been working through for the past two years. And this inspired me to reach out to see if you could recommend me some new authors and which book you'd start with for a project like this. My heart lives with literary fiction, though I also branch out in historical fiction, fantasy, and mystery. The hardest genres for me are science fiction and horror. Uh, And then Isabel gives us a whole list of different authors that uh, they already have on their list. So, Amanda, who did you pick? Uh, Colson Whitehead (laughs) is who I picked. I think that you can make a really strong argument for Colson Whitehead being, now that Toni Morrison is gone, uh, the greatest living American writer. And if there is someone who is inheriting Toni Morrison's mantle, I think it would be Colson Whitehead in a lot of ways. But I also like him for this question because he's written a whole bananas variety of stuff. So he's got like 10, I think, books out. His most famous one is The Underground Railroad, uh, you know, which was made into a series and he won a bunch of prizes for, and that is historical fiction with a little bit of like kind of magical realism woven in. But he's also written like more straight kind of historical fiction without the perhaps ma- magical kind of element. Um, he's written uh, coming of age novels. Zone One is a zombie novel. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite books of his is The Noble Hustle, which is a memoir that he wrote about his experience of learning how to play poker so he could play in the Poker yes. World Series, which is so random. <laughs> it is so weird. And he's got so many books like that. So I think that, you know, I have also read all of like Jane Austen, which is on your list, and not her books are not the same as each other by any means, but they have they follow a lot of the similar themes and structures and like smart girl goes up against kind of ding dong members of society. And but Colson Whitehead is is not doing like there's so much more variety to his backlist, and it's a pretty big backlist, so you could work through this. I think it could take you maybe a year if you read one a month. That's almost a year. Um, and he's you know still a very active writer. Harlem Shuffle just just came out like two weeks ago, I think. And so he is pretty prolific. He writes pretty fast. So I don't think you're ever really going to run out of stuff of his to read. So that is Colson Whitehead. And I would start with The Underground Railroad. Like that, you know, is obviously his most famous book. And if you like that, then you can probably... And it's also very brutal. Like it's a pretty brutal read. But if you can handle it and like the style, then I think it'll be good for the rest of the, you know, canon. I will co-sign all of that. (laughs) Super, super good choice. I love, also love the Noble Hustle. It's such a random <laughs> zone freaking one, stuff. Zone one. They're just, all, they are, they're all so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I thought a lot about this because several of the authors I wanted to recommend you already have on your list, which was like, all right, fine. Um, and then <laughs> I land, and then you, you, you know, Isabel's also asking for authors who have at least five books, which then further complicates things. So I landed on Zadie Smith because I think Smith is a super interesting writer and you you are going to be going back and forth between fiction and nonfiction because while Zadie Smith is an amazing novelist, she's also an essayist. And I, you know, I know you were talking about doing novels, but I would say that it is worth doing both. Um, and in Colson Whitehead's mm-hmm. case too, it's it's an. I think you get a really interesting different side of view of the author and their work if they do, you know, nonfiction as well as fiction. And also, like, Smith is just a great writer. I mean, I, you know, and with any author's career, there's some that you're going to like more than others, right? That's just, mm-hmm. like, reality. But Zadie Smith, again, such an interesting writer, so many good 
novels and short stories and essay collections out there to do for her. I would suggest starting with White Teeth because that's what I started with. And for the record, I haven't read everything she's written. So like, perhaps there is a different starting point. But my one, my first exposure with her was White Teeth, which I do think is more accessible in certain ways than some of her other novels. I will give content warnings for a suicide attempt, racism, domestic abuse, and homophobia. And all of her books tackle, I mean, some pretty serious issues. So like, it's not light, but you know, the other authors you've been reading are not particularly light either. So I think mm-hmm. you will be okay. Yeah. All of Toni Morrison is like, that'll gird your loins. Exactly. <laughs> I think, yeah, exactly. And like, I think Smith also, you know, is British, although she's lived in the U.S. for a while now. But, you know, you get a lot of London from different perspectives from various of her books, which I also think is super interesting, like to see the evolving nature of London as a city represented in these books. And then also Smith's ways that she depicts it super interesting in so many different ways um but yeah so this is this is my first but not my last mention of zadie smith on this show (laughs) Um, and again i'm suggesting you start with white teeth okay let's hear from our next sponsor today's episode is brought to you by sourcebooks landmark so king solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies and that is quote don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, our next question is from Caitlin, who says, everyone's super ready for fall, but I'm still clinging onto the last few pool and beach days since I'm high key water obsessed and could use something that would help ease the transition to fall and spooky season. You coined the term best on previous shows, 
murder mermaids. They don't necessarily have to be murder mermaids, but I like more of a darker lore than I do romance. I previously read Into the Drowning Deep, The Deep, and Things in Jars, and have Shallow Waters, The Mermaid of Black Conk, and All the Murmuring Bones on my list. I also have started and stopped The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock about a billion times. I'm not ready to give up on it yet. That's beside the point. I have nothing against YA, but that's not really what I'm looking for here. Um, I'm excited to see what you come up with. Okay, um, so I'm going to keep going. I picked something super dark. The murder doesn't necessarily come from the mermaids, but there is it's a pretty brutal and violent book. So the book that I've selected is The Merman by Carl Johan Valgren, um, which is a Swedish novel that's pretty short. It's like 200 pages. Um, and it is comes with a trigger warning for child abuse. And it's about a little girl named Nella. Well, she's not little. She's like a young teenager, I think. Um, Nella and her brother, Robert, who live with their mother and father in a small town uh, on the Swedish coast. Robert is bullied quite a bit at school and their family is poor. Um, and so Nella comes up with this idea to pay off his bullies to, you know, kind of defend him. Um, but she has no money. So she is resorting to like small theft and um, going into debt herself to try to save her brother from his bullies. Um, And she asked her friend Tommy to help her. So she goes to his house to get assistance. And while she's there, she sees something strange, which is her Tommy's brothers carrying something weird into their fishing shed. And so she waits a while for the brothers to like go out of the fishing shed. They're in there for a long time getting drunk and making a lot of noise. And it's all very odd. Not the getting drunk part, but like that they're hanging out together in one place in the fishing shed because that usually implies work. And these are people who don't super work a lot. Um, And so she goes in there after they leave and finds a merman in the fishing shed. Like they have gone out fishing and caught a merman. Um, And so this is not going to be like your Pisces version of a merman or any kind of romance version of a merman. Like this is an animal. This is like a fish, but it is has consciousness and uh, is injured and like can tell that Nella doesn't mean any harm, you know? And so she keeps coming back and visiting the merman um, over the next couple of days, trying to figure out what to do about it. Like she, if anything, what she's going to do about it, like should she free it? Should she sell it to help with her trying to defend her brother? And as time passes, the merman gets more and more sick and, like, doesn't really recover from its injuries. She learns how to kind of communicate with it a little bit. It attacks her a couple times because cornered, injured, wild animal. And then she eventually does make a decision and you, like, follow her as she tries to carry it out. But I'm not going to tell you what it is because of spoilers. But this is, like, a very cold, like, physically cold. Like, you feel that she is wet and damp in Sweden in a fishing shed for most of it. Um, it's It's a really cold, dark... I don't know that it's frightening, but it's certainly creepy. Like, the portrayal of this creature is a little Stephen King-ish. Like, uh, maybe supernatural, but probably not. Maybe just a, a weird part of the natural world we haven't discovered yet. And the human brutality that comes in. Yeah, I didn't know if I should have, like, give this an animal abuse trigger warning. Because the brothers don't treat the merman well, obviously. They hurt it. But, like, is it an animal? Is it a creature? I don't know. Anyway, it's just a really brutal... Uh, mermaid book, which is what you asked for. So there you go. So that's The Merman by Carl Johan Valgren. All right. So you said you didn't want YA, but you sort of exhausted <laughs> you of research and I had a really hard time finding anything else in the like adult realm that sounded like what you wanted. So I am instead recommending what I think is a reasonable comp at least tonally and like writing style wise for Drowning Deep and The Deep. I'm recommending The Vicious Deep. They all have deep in the title also, side note. (laughs) The Vicious Deep by Zoraida Cordova. 
It is. It is YA. It's the first in a series. The series is complete, I believe. So that's always nice. And it has like weird, like different takes on mermaids. It's uh, the main character, Tristan, uh, was is a teenager who lives in Brooklyn, and he was sucked out to sea in a tidal wave, and then lands mm. back on shore on Coney Island like three days later. And does not remember what happened to him, but he has all of these dreams of a mermaid with like giant pointy teeth and like it's terrifying and obviously something is very wrong here. Uh, his friends are concerned and but like he can't tell them what happened to him and he's also now maybe has magic powers? Surprise hmm. question mark. And there's like... <laughs> A lot of things that suddenly don't make sense, given that his life to this point has been very unmagical and like very real worldy. So this is, you know, a journey to figure out like what happened to him? What are these strange powers he has now? Also, some very different takes on mermaids. And it is, it's just like a fun adventure. I don't know. They're really enjoyable. I, I, I mean, I find Zoraida's work very enjoyable. I think the characters are really interesting and it is, you know, it plays with things in a way that I find very enjoyable. I said that like four times. Sorry, y'all. I'm still kind of jet lagged. So I'm repeating myself. I apologize. But yeah, it's fun. It moves quickly. There's a lot going on, a lot of world building. And I think you could very easily romp through these. So again, that is The Vicious Deep by Zoraida Cordova. All right. Our next question is from Reader G, who says, Not too long ago, I finished A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martine. I love this book so much. In the acknowledgments, she ended by thanking her wife and also author Vivian Shaw. And I was like, hang on. And upon searching Mm -hmm. my bookcase, a low, strange practice by Vivian Shaw. Aside from the fact that I'm also really enjoying Strange Practice, it's been fun for me to compare the styles slash approach slash brain output of two incredibly creative people who found each other and are now sharing a life together. It makes for a unique reading experience. So the question is, can you recommend a couple more books by a partner-partner duo? Genre doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. I'm just interested in creative couples and what they've come up with. Amanda, what you got? (laughs) All right, I picked Tahara Mafi and Ransom Riggs, who I did not realize were married for, like, kind of an unacceptably long time for somebody who is works books adjacent. Um, but Tahara Mafi wrote the Shatter Me series and some other things, but that's probably the one that she is most famous for. It's a YA trilogy, um, or maybe there is a fourth one. I know she just wrote an add-along or an add-on um, in the last couple of years. But Shatter Me, when it came out, you know, this was in 2011. So like right in like that, the ascendant heyday of the dystopian YA trilogy, right? Like those were everywhere. And this is one of the more popular ones. It's super dark, though, and it's written in a really interesting stream of consciousness style that some people found really hard to read, but I loved it. Um, And then Ransom Riggs wrote the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children series, which is also really interesting. It's got a it's like multimedia. If you haven't read it or looked at it, it's um, got a lot of creepy photos that are part of the story, uh, along with the actual prose. And that's like an abandoned orphanage and weird pictures and you know it's a little creepy like they're both writing books for kids or teenagers that are darkly edged but in really really different ways and uh, shatter me has a really big romance element running through it so i've not read 
Tahara's more recent stuff. I did read her one of her middle grade books, which I really liked also. And they, they just have really different writing styles. So I think this will, even though they're writing kind of in the similar, like for a similar audience or age group, they're really different writers, obviously, because they're different people. <laughs> so yeah, so that's uh, Tahara Mafi and Ransom Riggs. Yeah, I have two. I was trying to find you a pair that did like in very different genres Mm -hmm. and I did not succeed at that. So instead I'm going to give you two pairs who sort of write in similar genres, but are the pairs respectively are in different genres. This is going to make sense in a minute, I swear. So my first pick for you is Zadie Smith and Nick Laird. We've already talked about Zadie Smith today. You know why you should read her. Nick Laird is interesting. He's a poet and a novelist. Mm -hmm. And like his books can be very satirical, very sharp, very pointed, which I do think Zadie Smith does as well, but they do it in different, they do it in very different ways. Also, obviously, they have very different perspectives on things. And I do think it would be both a fun reading project and an enjoyable compare and contrast situation. But they are both writing largely, when they write novels, they're writing in literary fiction. So I wanted to give you another option that was more genre focused. So my second option for you are Delia Sherman and Ellen Kushner, which who they're super interesting because they both write in fantasy and they have actually collaborated on books as well, but they write different styles of fiction when they're writing separate of, of fantasy fiction when they're writing separately um both have written a ton of short stories and uh Ellen Kushner has done more adult fantasy novels whereas Delia Sherman has done stuff for young adult as well and yeah i just think they are a super interesting pair sort of like a power couple actually mm. in in fantasy and i think it's really fun like project wise to do like read separate of their works and then read the works that they did together. And like, can you picked out like who did what? Like, I don't know that it's actually possible if there's some kind of mind meld situation instead that's happening, but it would be fun to look at. Uh, so again, that's Delia Sherman and Ellen Kushner. And I was talking about Zadie Smith and Nick Laird before that. Okay, our last question. I didn't write the name of the person down because my brain is a sieve. I'm sorry. (laughs) So whoever this is, I'm sorry. Um, So this says, I recently moved to the Arizona desert. I love it here, but we have precisely one season. Unfortunately, (laughs) it is not autumn. Pumpkin spice lattes don't make sense when it's still 105 degrees outside. I'm looking to escape into a veritable literary autumnal wonderland. Look, I've listened to that podcast. That's (laughs) That's me saying veritable literary autumnal wonderland. It sounds like a great show. Can you recommend any books that absolutely scream fall they don't have to be spooky or halloweeny but it's okay if they are okay um i think that practical magic is the most autumnal book that exists it's by alice hoffman um and it is of course the movie uh with sandra bullock and nicole kidman but if you have not seen it i will give you a slight thumb up so this is about the owens sisters who or owen yeah the owens sisters who live in massachusetts their names are jillian and sally and their family has lived there for 200 years in like the same house in the same little town and they live with their aunts their parents have died and their aunts are strange their aunts do very like live in a big victorian home that's a little creepy they've got a lot of black cats they are forever handing out herbal remedies to the neighbors anyway of course everybody thinks they're witches and their family has had this problem from the time that they came here and yeah, to america where all of the women are, are thought to be witches 
And it becomes such a thing, like when Jillian and Sally are children, they're kind of bullied and made fun of a little bit. When anything goes wrong in the town, the sisters of this family are automatically blamed. And so they both try to get out of this town and this family in their different ways. Uh, Jillian becomes kind of like a wild child. She leaves town with some dude. Sally does the opposite. She gets married. There's like a family curse, right? That if, if you get married, your husband's going to die. And so she decides she's going to just abandon all of that. And she gets married, has some children, and then her husband dies. <laughs> and then, you know, um, the sister comes back. There's like a a reckoning almost of, of accepting who they are, their familial history, their identity. Um, and it all takes place on this backdrop of like freaking stars hollow, you know, like it's so <laughs> every leaf is an autumnal leaf and every step is, is a crunchy fall step and everything is scarves and New England and hocus pocus. And it's just cozy and a little spooky and yeah, very autumnal. So Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. Also, you could like, I know this is a book podcast, so but so don't come for me, but you could just skip it and watch the movie and have the same feeling. Yeah. But anyway, you could also read the book. It's good. <laughs> Yep, I have another get booked favorite for you for this question. It is Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. And this is extremely fall in so many ways. I mean, not least because it takes place in, you know, the fall, but it is in LA. So it's not like New England fall. It's like West Coast fall. But still things, you know, it gets a little cold. The weather changes a little bit. And um, so uh, our main character, Yadriel, is part of a very traditional Latinx family that includes magic. So it's very super normal in his big sweeping family that there is magic and that the men uh, who have the magic have like a certain kind and the women have a different kind. And Yadriel is trans and he is having struggles to get his family to accept this. It's very difficult for them. Uh, this is where I give a content warning for transphobia, including dead naming. And he has magic, but they won't let him go through the confirmation ceremony to prove that he is a brujo because of this you know, they're the trans thing. They're just like struggling to accept it. So he's like, well, fine, I don't need you. I'm going to do it by myself. <laughs> and in the course of doing that, accidentally summons a ghost who is also the ghost of a cute boy from school. Surprise, Julian. And that gets complicated in fun ways. Uh, and they are trying to solve the mystery of how, like, why is Julian's ghost wandering around? Like, what happened to him? And so Yadriel and his best, best friend slash cousin Maritza, who is amazing, also bucking family expectations in her own special ways, are end up on this huge, like, murder mystery quest. Also, this is all complicated by the fact that they're rapidly nearing Dia de Muertos, which is a huge ceremony for them. And, you know, all the preparations are going on and they're supposed to be helping that. They're not supposed to be running around L.A., trying to figure out like who's murdering teenage boys mm -hmm. uh, but that's and what they're ending up doing and it's so ugh, i love the characters i love the adventure it's so atmospheric it is just a really fantastic read and i think it will very much give you the vibes that you are looking for so again that is cemetery boys by aiden thomas and that's our show. We did it. <laughs> Jet lagged, allergied, and with dongle situations. But here we are. We did it. Uh, thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who cleans all of this up. 
Thanks to you all for listening. So excited to answer your questions for our next episode, Big 300. If you need more book recommendations in the meantime, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts. We have a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. at bookriot.com slash listen. If you would be so kind as to leave a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can leave podcast reviews, we super appreciate it. We think it helps other people to find the show, and it's always nice to see the feedback. Thanks go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between episodes, you can find us, well, sort of, you can find us on social media sometimes. Amanda, where are you? (laughs) Uh, Occasionally, I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And when I'm not on social media hiatus, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Mm